Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. Hello, curling fans, and welcome back to another episode of Way Inside. This is episode number six. I am John Cullen. Thank you for listening here on Sportsnet's Inside Curling Feed. It's going to be a quick intro this week because the interview, well, it's jam-packed. We went super long, so I just want to say a little shout-out to the humble measuring stick. I know there was a little bit of controversy online this week about the use of the measuring stick. Why aren't we using the laser? Blah, blah, blah. First of all, we know the laser is not as accurate as our old friend, the long measuring stick. But second of all, the measuring stick is one of the coolest things in sports. When the overhead angle in the house zooms in on the micrometer and you can actually see how close the rocks are. Honestly, to me, having an official struggle with the measuring stick It's just part of the whole thing. People are like, oh, I don't want curling to get too modern, but then they want to get rid of the measuring stick. No, everything else about curling can get modernized. We cannot lose it. It's its own drama. No lasers, no triangulation. Give me an official standing over the rings. Give me players yelling at them. Give me the long stick. I don't care. Speaking of great things, Carly Howard is here. Uh, You're probably familiar with Carly because, you know, obviously she comes from a very famous family of curlers, but also as a great curler in her own right, runner up at the Ontario Scotties just about a year ago and then had another good showing making the playoffs this year. She's also a former bronze medalist at the U Sports level, and you may know her for her excellent curling Twitter skills. Yes, I wanted to have her on the show to not only talk about her career and and growing up with Glenn Howard as your dad, but also wanted to get her insight on why curlers and curling teams are kind of really bad at social media and what we can do to maybe make it better. And so it's a great chat. I know you're going to love it. Here's Carly Howard. I am here with Carly Howard. Carly, we start every episode with a lightning round. Four quick questions with quick answers right off the top. It's called the top four. Are you ready? Yeah, I think. Question one, which curler have you never played with before that you would want to? John Morris. If all the rocks are exactly the same, so you know that they're, it's two great sets of rocks, there's no problem with any of them, what color are you taking? Blue. What is something that's considered a basic thing in curling that you struggled to learn? The hand signal for peel and firm. How would your bitterest rival describe you? Aggressive. And I don't mean necessarily like the game I play, but I think I might come off aggressive, especially like skipping now. Like I didn't realize how loud I was as a skip and everyone's like, yeah, you're pretty loud out there. So I think like when I'm like dedicated to the shot, like 
screaming i'm like oh they did they the louder i scream the more like they'll sweep and so i think like they'd be like it's an open hit carly like you can chill does that like affect the way that people think about you off the ice i don't know yeah there are some skips who are like really loud on the ice but then off the ice they're kind of quiet but i wonder if people think like oh god yeah they're just kind of like loud and annoying (laughs) (laughs) i would say there's maybe some merit to that you're getting judged. You're getting judged as a skip. That's why it's good to play lead. Your rocks aren't even on TV. You don't even have to worry about it anymore. No, they're not. But but they'll tell you. Like they'll they'll announce it if you threw a garden house though. That's the first thing they say when they come back. They're yeah. Like, well, big development while you were watching that commercial for <laughs> tractors. Guess yeah. what? John Cullen did it again. The stupid idiot. Threw it in the house. He's all the way in the down house. to down to threw down to in the tenth. Yeah. It's in the house. We might as well shake. Yeah. Exactly. Not to blow up your future mixed doubles partner's spot, John Morris, but uh, he actually quit in the middle of a game once against me. They were down like three or four, and then he hogged his first rock. Uh, He was trying to freeze, I think, and he just hogged it, and he was like, okay, we're done, and he just started shaking our hands. I've never had a team concede in the middle of an end before. That's amazing. And I just want to say, I'm sort of blowing up John's spot, but that was the only time I ever beat John, so... Don't don't yeah. don't get it twisted. I'm not saying I'm yeah. like yeah, beat Johnson. You know, whatever. I think they went on to win that tournament. So <laughs> yeah, he he probably knows when he's gonna win, when he's gonna lose, and when he needs some rest to recover for the next one. Smart. That's why you want to play with him. I get yeah. that. Um, okay, Carly. Let's talk about you and not me. That's not what the show is about. Okay. Let's start from the top. Your dad. Some people have maybe heard of him before. Uh, Glenn Howard, pretty well-known guy. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm curious, as, you know, coming from such a curling family with your dad and your uncle and everything, did you take to curling right away? Or was there any sort of, like, rebellion early on in your life of, like, I'm not going to curl just because my dad curls? Oh, for sure. I think I did every other sport other than curling for quite a while. Scott was into it pretty early. He, he played hockey and other things. I think I did like gymnastics, ball hockey, played every sport in school and track and field. Badminton, I think I played at one point, but uh, mostly it was so cold on the ice. I had like no interest in being out there. Like Midland Curling Club and, and all small town ice where curling clubs are freezing. And as a child, it's cold out there no matter what. But the only time I really went to like Sunday curling was if my dad was there and if there was hot chocolate. And those were the only <laughs> two reasons I would go on the ice. I was you had like, to be bribed to get out there. 100%. To this day, I'm bribed to get out there. To be honest, <laughs> but, uh, What's the bribe look like now? Different drink. and maybe, Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I didn't take it that early. I think, I think I was like, I don't know, 12 or 13. I mean, I was still pretty young, but before I actually started right and and what was the sort of tipping point into okay maybe i will give this a go now i don't don't know how it happened i think i just ended up being like on a good team in bantams i think bantams was probably the start for me um and i think we i got on a good team we were playing really well and i think winning as you know my dad always says winning is fun and we started winning some games and it became fun and i was like okay maybe i could do this and and maybe all the other sports weren't working out. And I was like, this is all I got left. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you went through the rare badminton to curling pipeline. You yeah, know? So exactly. If things aren't going good in badminton, curling might be the only thing you have left. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. You know, I grew up in the world of hockey. Uh, sounds like, you, you know, your yeah. brother did too a little bit. And there is a bit of like a, a, a politics thing when your family is established, you know, like mm-hmm. if you if your 
dad played junior or in the NHL or whatever, you know, there's always this kind of like aura around the child. Was that sort of a thing for you, particularly when you were younger? I mean, maybe even still now, I don't know. But if so, like, how did you kind of deal with that? Oh, for sure. I I think especially we were obviously small town, grew up in a small town. Like my dad's face is on like an old waterworks building in town. And then, you know, there's street names and all that stuff and the Penitent Curling, Howard Curling Club, all that. So I obviously grew up around it and, and people, you know, excited to meet dad. And we would always play this game, my mom and I, when we would go into like a mall with my dad, like around town and be like, okay, how many people would like come up to him and say, Hey Glenn, or how's it going or whatever. And so we'd make bets on that. So I think like I obviously was around it and understood pretty young that like, you know, dad did very well in this sport and we, he was, you know, recognized places and accomplished. And so being around it young, I don't think had too much of an effect on me in the sense of like, I wasn't, you know, nervous to hold the Howard name, like, and I still don't really feel that I actually, you know, embrace it. I enjoy having, you know, the Howard name tied to me. I live under pressure. Like I I just fully enjoy embrace that. And there was no sort of like teasing or anything, you know, when you were younger about like, uh, like, especially if you maybe didn't get the results you wanted, was there sort of like anything like that? Uh, maybe not to my face. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I can imagine in like high school curling, there was probably some people, you know, that said some things, uh, but certainly not to me or or none that I can remember. Okay. Well, that's nice. At least, at least, you know, you're well liked (laughs) enough that people do it behind your back. Sure. Sure. You've obviously had some success at the ladies level, but I think you would probably agree, at least in terms of on paper success, most of that has come for you in universities. And and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, you know, on curling podcasts and stuff, we don't really talk about university curling that much, you know, obviously the university of Alberta program people know about and people come out of these university programs and we go, Oh yeah, it's cool. But we don't pay a ton of attention to the U sports championships or whatever, just generally speaking. So I was kind of curious to talk to you about it. Like, what was it about university curling in particular that really sort of clicked for you? I can imagine I was one of few uh, when I went to school that actually picked their university because of the curling program it had. So I went to Wilfrid Laurier and they had a really good curling program or even sports program uh, when I started there. They were out there seeking people like I had conversations with the coaches well before I like decided to go there. Um, so like that was always in my mind that I was going to go to a school that had uh, a good curling program. I still wanted to curl competitively and also wanted to curl at school as well. And I also knew of quite a few individuals who were also going to Laurier who would likely be on the team that I would be on there. And I think it's really important to have that money and that fundraising and everything for the sporting at the schools. Like, you know, like you said, Alberta does an incredible job. Like they pump out like really good curlers, like year after year after year. And you, you know them like, and, and they also like wear the curl, like the Alberta wear and they're representing their school, even at like the men and women level, like whether, while they're, you know, finishing up their university. And so Laurier was, I'd like to say like the second or third school behind Alberta. Like they were, they were making um, moves in the sense of like showing off their school and then the, you know, the curlers that they produced there and the teams that they made. And so it was good to be part of that. I think it also kept a lot of curlers in the sport. I know a couple of girls that I played with in university, uh, they actually retired from curling after university, but I think it kept them in, which I think is really important because if we don't have that 
structure at these universities, these colleges, you know, good sports teams, um, they may, they may, you know, go away to school and lose that drive to compete. And I think it's really important for our sport in general to have that space for curlers to continue curling too. I think you're right. I think that it's becoming this sort of development pipeline in the country. Yeah. But we also don't really talk about it. We don't really cover it. We don't really, you know, and so I think there's also resistance from the schools too. Like, I mean, I went to UBC. I'm I'm a lot older than you. But when I was at UBC, we would have had a very good team. I mean, we were all it was all guys that were on the top junior teams in BC at the time. And they basically told us to like shove it. And we were like, we don't want, we don't even want anything from you. It was like, we already get all our own ice. We already have a coach. You just need to sign a paper. Yeah. And they were like, no, we are not into it. And so it's, it's also interesting from the university level too, to try and get that buy-in, I think. It's unfortunate. And I, I know there's curling teams at their university or their college that they were, you know, going to school at, like they had to fund their own ways to get to the OUAs and the CIS because the school wasn't supportive of especially of that sport I think it's growing a little bit more that you know university and colleges are recognizing that you know it's important to embrace all sports like I was lucky to go to Laurier that had that support and and they did really well like they had Holly Duncan um, Daniel Inglis Laura Walker Sarah Willis like all of them like were before I got there and you know obviously did very well and they kept you know growing that awareness of how good curling was at our school that you know that by the time I got there there was you know everything was already in place but I think it is unfortunate that it's not recognized as much as it should be on a national scale. Yeah. So let's go put pressure on your schools. Let's, <laughs> let's get every yes. school, let's get every school doing this. I think it would be great. Um, For yeah. sure. You did play with your dad at mixed doubles nationals yeah. uh, back in 2016, I believe. Uh, what's it like playing with your dad? We played in like one of the very first years that mixed doubles was a thing. And it was fun. Like, obviously, that was the first time I'd played with my dad competitively. And we've never done any like mix or any 14 mix or anything like that, that I can remember. Dad threw the, you know, middle three rocks. I threw the first and last, which was pretty typical at the time. It was quite interesting um, <laughs> to play with him. But uh, and we did really well. Like, we came fourth or something at Nashville. I can't remember. We lost it. Tess, Bobby, and that was back when you could freeze the first rock. You could freeze on the one that was like back pin. Right. And once you froze to it, it was like end over. They've already stolen from you. Like doesn't matter. So that was interesting because I felt like we were like that first group that was like learning what's, you know, made sense for the sport. And then obviously it's changed a little bit since then. But yeah, no, playing with dad, it it was fun. We had a good time. It was long weekend that we went to Ottawa to play in the nationals and we got in obviously on his points into that event. We didn't have to play in or anything, which was good. So we're like, okay, yeah, well, there's no like zones, regions or anything like this. Let's just like sign up and let's go. Yeah. You're, you're sort of like the, uh, like Wayne and Brent Gretzky are the, uh, two highest scoring brothers in yeah. NHL history, but Wayne has like 3000 points and Brent has 10. That's basically yeah, the equivalent. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. My, my like five got us in, in there. <laughs> Snuck us in. Well, I mean, what the hell Carly, you never did it again. What went wrong? What, what happened? They changed the way you got in or something the following year. And we, I think we had to play a lot more. I don't actually remember. Or maybe I went on a holiday, which is pretty typical reason why I would skip curling. I'd love to play with you, Dad, but I'm going to be in Porto Vallarta seven margaritas deep. I don't think I can help <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, have, I actually have no clue why, why we didn't do it the next year. I have no clue. Maybe because people started like actually doing it. 
<laughs> for real and we were like yeah. nah, we're not it. we're not interested yeah <laughs> obviously your dad and brother have been playing together for so long and it's so impressive because yeah. if i played with my dad one of us would not be alive we would have killed each other by now yeah. like what do you think it is about maybe your dad or your brother or just your family in general that has kind of allowed this to happen because i think a lot of people i think would be like god playing with my dad would be a literal nightmare yeah, I, I know a lot of family members that have and play together. I'm not going to name names, Madaz. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is exactly. I think there's obviously a level of respect on both sides. Dad's obviously been, you know, very successful in curling and, and Scott himself too. So I think there's a level of respect there. On the same side, I think the three others on the team are so close in age and have, you know, curled together over the years and everything that like, they they have like a bond too so it's not like it's like scott's the only one out in this scenario but also like dad's clearly coming to the end of his career i have no clue when he's retiring <laughs> don't ask me every year i think it's the last and it's not <laughs> i think it's just like dad just really wants to continue like wants to play over the last couple of years it's just a matter of feeling good still winning games for scott it's just like they, they obviously know each other. They know they're comfortable with it. And, and it worked. I, with, that, with that being said, there's many times that they yell each other on the ice. Like, <laughs> oh, I've seen like, it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like everyone's seen it. But uh, no, I think, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're family and they'll deal with it. <laughs> Do you think your dad ever goes back and listens to uh, Scott mic'd up? Because that's usually when you get it is, is, you know, I know this as a broadcaster, I, you know, I call their games. And you'll just hear Scott be like, Jesus Christ, dad. (laughs) (laughs) If dad went back and heard that, no chance they would be playing together anymore. Because I obviously watch a lot of their games and listen to the commentary and and listen to Scott's words. But I can imagine just as much as Scott's saying his, dad is inside his head when it's Scott that misses his shot. So... I love it. No, it's great. Uh, well, Carly, we always like to split the interview with uh, a little segment we call Dirty Laundry. Okay. Uh, and this is where I uh, I dig up dirt on you and uh, and ask you about it. Fun. And I will say, first of all, your teammates a little disappointing with the amount of dirt that they gave. So I don't know if that makes them good teammates or bad teammates, but I will say disappointing performance from Team Carly Howard in the dirt department. Interesting. I feel like there's a lot out there, so I'm surprised I couldn't come up with. (laughs) I figured I would have to be paring down the list. Exactly. I heard, you know, back when you were a kid, you had a beloved childhood blanket that nearly set the house on fire. Would you like to tell me that story? Yeah, I feel like you definitely didn't hear that from my teammate. (laughs) You either got that from Scott or like my dad, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't divulge my sources. I mean, you know. Uh, I, I don't even know how old I was at that time, but I obviously had this blanket. I, I, I think pretty sure it's still at my parents' house. So yeah, I almost burnt the house down. <laughs> I wanted to warm up my blanket. It was one of those like classic baby blankets, string, whatever. And uh, I wanted to warm it up. So I put it beside the fireplace in our old house. Needless to say, the blanket somehow caught on fire. Like there was glass. So I put it right up to get it nice and warm. Kind of caught on fire a little bit. It didn't burn the house down. It was a little dramatic. Whoever said that, but... Uh... They said it almost burned the house down. <laughs> okay, yeah. And that same blanket, I don't know why. It went through the snowblower. Oh, really? Yeah. Same blanket. I don't know why it was like in the snow. Like I took the blanket and put it in the snow. It was actually the same day. I caught it on fire and it needed to cool down. It's too hot, <laughs> Mom. It it's too hot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So yeah, that's like, it's been through a lot. I think it's tied together. That's the first one. Second one, this is not even really dirty laundry. I just sort of was combing through your Twitter and uh, discovered you're a huge Survivor fan. I am, yeah. And you're like still in it. You're still watching it. You haven't Mm -hmm. given up. (laughs) Still, sadly, there's a lot of seasons. Let's say they make an Oops All Curlers edition of Survivor. Okay. Uh, Which curler do you think would be the worst at survivor like easy like couldn't handle it out first they suck and which curler would you be like most scared of to see on the list and i'm in this scenario you're going and who would you be like oh geez they're gonna be really tough to maybe beat at survivor Ooh, that's a that's a really good question let me think about this i don't think my dad would be pretty like i think he would be good I don't know. Like, he could make some really good relationships. He's really good at talking. But, like, maybe, like, the low amount of food that they, have, they eat is, I think, would be would be a trouble. Like, he doesn't like eating the same thing every night. He needs some change. So, if it's fish every night, like, he would struggle. So, I don't know if he'd be that good at it. I like that I said any curler, and you're like, oh, my dad would be off the island immediately. I was like, yeah, it's... <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, sidebar, I really want to do The Amazing Race with my dad. And we've been talking about it for years. And, like, the only thing I haven't done is, like, do the video. They have to do a video to, like, sit, you have to submit. And I need, like, a video person to, like, put it all together for me. And I, I think I would... I, we would definitely try to do it. But anyways, for Survivor... Oh, Joanne Courtney. I think she'd be really good. She would be good. She's strong. She's tough. Yeah, strong, determined, like... And really nice. It, yeah, like, I think her social skills would be really good. Like, I think she she makes some, some good friends. Because she's and... nice, but I also think... And not to not to put Joanne on blast, but I think she could get a little cutthroat. Yeah, I think, I think she'd be really good. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. You've been with the same girls for a while now, and I, I was reading some past interviews you had done, and you had sort of talked about how really for you, curling is mostly about the fun aspect of it and enjoying who you're playing with and everything um, more so than necessarily than, you know, oh, I just have to get on a good team and I don't care if I don't like the people or whatever. Uh, so what about your current team is it that has kind of brought you together for a while and, and has helped you be so successful? Obviously, like in Ontario, everyone knows each other. Everyone knows the color. So I knew these girls and I was friends with them before we got together as a team. But uh, I actually played with them in the tier two uh, out in Nova Scotia four years ago now. Jenna Murphy was on the team and she wasn't able to make it that week. So I went out and we actually lost the final, a very traumatizing final (laughs) to say the least. Uh, We got absolutely destroyed. So that one was one of them. I have PTSD from that final. So we lost the final. And then that following year, uh, Janet was stepping back on the team and there was a spot open. So I spoke with the girls and obviously we had a really good run at the, the tier two. And I'd played against them for many years and my team was going our separate ways. A couple of people were retiring and moving and all that. So it was kind of like a natural fit. So we played together for a few years now and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we've won some things. We've obviously lost some Scotties and 
And we lost the final uh, last year to Rachel at the Provincials when my first time skipping. And what was interesting this year, and I think was really great about our team, is we all switched our positions going into this year, uh, 2022-2023 season. And we all embraced our new positions. We all just kind of laid it on the table after last year and just were like, we really like each other. We're great friends. We really want to stick together as a team. Like we don't want to lose that aspect of it because that's obviously half the battle is enjoying being, you know, with the players, especially when you're with them all the time. So we laid out on the table and we said, what positions are you interested in playing? What don't you want to play? And then it kind of just worked out where we all ended up in a position that we were comfortable with. And so I think that's great. And it shows a lot of respect that we all have for each other to to just jump into a new role. And obviously we're a very committed team. We've worked very hard and we look out for one another. Um, you know, if it's a tough game or, you know, someone has a tough game, we're, we're there for each other. I think that that's what makes taking time away from your job to do this, because obviously we have all four full-time jobs, but taking time away to do this on the weekends, it makes it a lot easier too when, you know, and you enjoy being around each other and you're good friends. And if, you know, some podcaster comes asking for incriminating information, you sort of seal up the vault. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that's important too. How did you all land on you skipping? Yeah, I hadn't skipped uh, since university. It uh, was my last time I skipped. I used to call the game in like Bantams and throw like second uh, years ago. I did the old Russ Howard <laughs> move uh, then, but uh, I hadn't uh, skipped for a while, obviously. Uh, and I knew I, I enjoyed it from university. We had a good amount of success in university uh, uh, when I was skipping and I knew I really enjoyed it. I knew I was comfortable and I knew I was comfortable calling the game to throwing last rock, that pressure that you obviously will get. But it all kind of came down to what positions people were comfortable playing and what they weren't comfortable playing. I was comfortable playing, you know, back end. I obviously advised for, for many, many years in juniors and women's. It just so happened when we all kind of said what we wanted. And I said I would take the torch. Give it to me. <laughs> Give me the torch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I took yeah. it. I actually you took got, it. You got loud and aggressive and you, you stole the torch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, part of the reason I wanted to talk to you for this show is, you know, this is a bit of a lighter and, and sort of a funnier show. And, and I think, you know, not to pump your tires too much, but you might be one of the few people in the entire curling world that can successfully make a joke tweet about curling. Most people on curling Twitter are pretty tragic when it comes to the comedy aspect of the whole thing. You kind of got well known for taking over Twitter accounts, whether it be your dad's team or team Epping when he was sparing for them. How did that all come about? The idea that you would take over the Twitter and also that like you would say some pretty outlandish things. How did that all kind of come together? Short story. A lot of people on Twitter that obviously follow all of that that happened know the story. And the story is that I had a provincial, a women provincial uh, in Brampton and my dad came and watched. And so uh, Scott and dad's provincial, the men's was like a week or two later. And so I wrote on Twitter and I said, I'm going to go to the tankard and I'm going to write a sign that says only here for my dad because Scott didn't come to my provincial. So since he didn't come to mine, I'm like, well, I'm not cheering for you at yours. And I'm gonna say I'm only here for my dad. That's where we went to the tankard. And the committee of that tankard like created this massive sign that said, Carly, here's your sign. And like put my tweet up on like for everyone to see uh, in the arena. So that kind of kickstarted it. And then I think I went to that tankard and just took over their Twitter. I will say, and I'll admit that I took it over. They did not hand the keys <laughs> to the Twitter account. I 100% stole it. And uh, that was the time that Scott was playing lead. He was like 
ended up hogging a bunch of rocks. And so I started like commenting on like, oh, how many rocks is he going to like hog this game or whatever? And then uh, he was like throwing them in the house after the mop, the classic like fifth end mop gets faster. And I'm like, oh, Scott, I forgot it gets faster. And so people started like following along on what I was like saying and tweeting that that week specifically. And I think it like dad's team didn't exactly have a presence on Twitter at the time. Like they weren't posting like anything other than like their schedule or something. And so they like started creeping up in their like followers and so I was like well I might as well take it over at the briar too and so it just kind of continued and then it is to what it is today which is obviously as you know team mapping approached me and I, I took over their account for the trials uh, last year and I've actually had a couple other teams reach out and, and chat to me that they want me to take over theirs at some point this could be a new career it just kind of started with me basically chirping Scott, uh, <laughs> my brother. Now, did Scott ever get mad about this? Was he? Was it ever like, I read the tweets back and it's like, oh, come on. For sure. I, I think there was definitely <laughs> some moments where he's like, I get it. <laughs> but I think, honestly, he was he was a really good sport about it. Like, he can't exactly help, you know, as a curler trying to make shots out there uh, when you read them. But he is a really good sport about it. I don't do it as much anymore. I, I like to spread the love to other curlers, too. But... <laughs> <laughs> Or spread the hate. Uh, (laughs) You had one of the funniest tweets probably in curling Twitter history when it was a picture of your dad and your uncle and you said, if you know who these two guys are, it's time to get a colonoscopy. I'm a comedian. I hate when people ask me to explain my jokes, but like, where did that, where'd that one come from? To be honest, I don't know. I saw the picture and it's the first thing I thought. And I was like, (laughs) naturally, I tweeted it. If you think about like curling teams, especially, but like also individual curlers who have big followings, what is it about curling that we just kind of haven't figured this out? Because I I just sort of feel like a lot of curlers and teams that have big audiences are really not capitalizing on that in any meaningful way. I certainly agree. I think I think there's a lot of space out there to do some really creative things, especially to get interest into the sport too, right? Like I think totally. Like Matt Hamilton's a great example of changing the, the you know the way curling is viewed from an outside party who doesn't know curling like he really like especially at the olympics like he he wasn't you know the classic cutout of a curler and he embraces and he still to this day does like some things i saw him marking his ball golfing with his gold medal like that's funny to you know some people some people may not enjoy that but and, and that's a risk he takes and i think that's important in, in curling like it is in every sport is to take a little bit of risk and i don't think that's happening in the curling to your point i think especially when curlers were the ones controlling their own social media. Now people have like social media managers and people who take care of their social media. Um, so they're not reading all like the hate comments and you know, the things that get stirred off on Twitter. But when they were reading that, it's, it's hard to come up with something creative and out of fear of, you know, being knocked down by it. And I think that's kind of what happened with when I take over the team Glenn Howard account, I'm like, it's, it's coming from me. It's not coming from the team. So like, let's let loose here. Let's have some fun. Let's say some funny things. And like, you know, let's not take it personal. I'd love to see people change up their social media. Like to your point, I think, you know, the classic, like, hey, this is what we're doing this weekend. These are our games. Here, this we play. Here's a picture of like the score. Isn't gonna, isn't gonna draw anything to the sport or to the teams. I see like people like like Team Holman's a good example of using like TikTok as like a space to show the other side of them that they, you don't see uh, on the ice or that's not perceived on the ice because they come off as a very different team, I guess, because, 
you know, they're competitive and they're serious out there, but then they flip on, you know, the TikTok side of things and becoming a little bit, you know, like shows their lighter side. That's obviously important for people to see and people to relate to. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm I'm very shocked by it, and, and I think you know we always talk about teams will say, oh yeah, we got to grow the game, we got to grow the game, but it's like let me be maybe a little more pointed, like you know what you're talking about the hate comments and stuff like that. I think you know fair to say in a lot of cases that's coming from an older audience that wants the sort of cutout curler like you were talking about. Yeah. And I think curling does have a big time demographics problem. You know, everybody yeah. who watches the sport and engages with the sport is, is old, not everybody, but vastly older demographic. Yeah. You know, if you're kind of in charge or, or you're, you know, thinking about how to attract a younger fan to the game outside of just, you know, TikTok and stuff like, what would you be doing to kind of draw the younger fan in? Because I do think, you know, I, I think of you as someone who does have their finger on the pulse in a way, at least with the content that you put out, uh, understanding what might be attractive to a non-fan or a younger fan. What can people do maybe to help that? I think the biggest thing with social media is being relatable. Like, and I think that's so important. I see that on like, I watch TikTok all the time and I see like how these people become famous is because they are relatable. And I think, and, and with every sport is like, when you relate to someone, all of a sudden you start liking them and you start watching them and you get fascinated with them. And like, I think with curling is it's so separate because it's like, there's no presence on social media or there used to not be any presence from the players. Like it's from their accounts, but it's like, what are the players actually doing that's drawing people to their team to like them? They have to show that relatable side that will bring that demographic, especially the demographic on social media now is obviously a little bit younger now. Obviously not everyone has social media of a certain age. Having a presence, a personal presence from each player is, is something that I think that would be pretty impactful. No, I, I mean, I love that. I, I totally agree with you. I, I think it's faceless in a way. And it's weird with curling because curling is so not faceless. It's like no one's wearing a helmet or a mask or a whatever. You're, you're just like seeing the person stand there in basically a version of street clothes and you get close ups of their face for like three straight hours you know, I talked about this with Tyler Tardy on the last episode. He thinks curling needs more villains. I don't necessarily think you got to be a villain, but if everybody's putting themselves out there in the way that feels authentic to them, mm -hmm. then you let the fans decide who's the villain, who's the, like, that's what golfers do. They're just like, this is just me. You know, Patrick Reed is just a dick. Uh, and we, so everybody's just like, yeah, okay. What you, he's like, I'm just being me. And then we decide at home, like, ah, he's probably not a great guy. You can be yourself and then just let everyone else decide. And that's what can kind of make it a little tighter. Yeah, I think it's tricky. Like obviously with Patrick Reed, good example, he makes millions of dollars a year. And obviously he's on a completely different tour now and makes a lot more money, but he obviously won't care what people think because he, he doesn't need to, like, there's no need to care because of the amount of money he makes. And then he's fine with that. I don't necessarily think there needs to be more villains, but uh, I think there needs to be a little bit more pizzazz in, in the curling. Like it's the same thing over and over again. And I think that's like when they brought in the Continental Cup, maybe that's something that, you know, showed a little bit of the people and who they are. Like they dressed up and jumping around, you know, dad's got that thing with the guns that he does and space where they can just be themselves. I think that could be something. I don't know what that is. You know, people struggle to you know be the villain because of the, the risk that it is. It may be a risk of finding a team next the next year because they're known as a villain. It could be they lose sponsors over something like that. Like there's so much worry that being themselves would cause something else to happen. 
that's what stops them from doing something. Well, you heard it from me and Carly. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Hakuna Matata. No worries. Just be yourself and let the world sort it out. Okay, Carly, we always finish off the show with a segment that we call Extremely Difficult Own Career Trivia. And this is where I ask you questions about your own curling career. There's going to be five possible points here. The top score so far is three out of five. So we'll see how well you do. These are all questions about your own curling career. Are you ready? Yeah, I feel like I could answer someone else's questions better than my own. But yeah, I'll be I'm ready. Here we go. Question number one. At the 2014 CIS championships, only one team competed that was west of Alberta, and they barely missed the playoffs, finishing with a four and three record. Who was the skip and what school did they represent? Fern Brown. Yep, that's one. University of BC. I knew you wouldn't get the university right. Thompson Rivers University. Oh my gosh. That's the university that's in Kamloops. So you're one for two so far. At the 2015 CIS Championships, you took home a bronze medal, defeating Veronica Smith of UPEI in the bronze medal game. What was the score? They're impossible. 6-5. Giving your opponent too much credit. You won 8-3. to three. Wasn't even close. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was in... Yeah, now I remember. <laughs> I do remember that game, actually. You had a tweet from March of 2020. You're going to fill in the blank. You went deep. I could totally go on Survivor, except for that minor detail of what? Eating fish. Eating fish is right. Yes. You're, you're not a fish fan. I don't eat seafood or fish. Yeah. Okay. Why? Is it like an allergy thing or are you just... No, I just, I never, just never liked it as a kid and continue to not like it. That's I don't it. like the smell. I don't like the texture. I don't like the taste. So you're screwed on, on our oops, all curlers version of survivor. You're in huge trouble unless it's on like a ranch in Texas. <laughs> yeah. I would sacrifice my life honestly to go on the show. So if I, if I had to like <laughs> die by not eating fish, just to, just to meet Jeff and maybe Boston Rob could go on all, you know, celebs. I did notice from your tweets, you're a big Boston Rob fan. <laughs> I, I am. Yeah. Big yeah. fan. Nice. Okay. Last question. So you're two for four. You have a chance to tie the top score here. Okay. Okay. So you appeared for the first time at the Saskatchewan Scotties in 2018, where you went three and five. However, strangely enough, two of your three wins in the round Robin were against teams who made the playoffs. Who was the only playoff team that you didn't beat? Silvernagle. Silvernagle is right. Yeah. Very good. Three for five. Tied the top score. Do you remember who the other two playoff teams were? Eberly. Eberly. Yeah. Eberly's one. Yeah. Oh, who else was out of Sask? Barker? No. The most iconic Saskatchewan curler of all. Sherry Anderson. Oh, Anderson. Yeah. No big deal. You got three out of five. You're tied. You're you're at the top of the mountain with everybody else. Yeah, you, you've done very well. Where I should be. Where you should be, indeed. The top of the mountain. <laughs> uh, so we are finishing yeah. off the show with the extra end. Okay. This is a question from last show's guest. This is from Tyler Tardy. And this is actually a perfect question. Tyler didn't know it at the time. He was jammed up. He was jammed up, Carly. <laughs> he was like, I don't even know because I didn't tell him it was you. He was like, I don't even think I have a question. I don't know what the hell. And then he came up with what are three words you could use to describe me, meaning himself, Tyler Tardy. And this dovetailed perfectly with in Brantford. Uh, well, while you and I were both there for the, the Brantford Nissan Classic. 
your team, I learned, plays a game. I sort of would equate it to like when you play the board game Guess Who, but you play it biographically. Exactly. It's like, so, you know, people think of Guess Who and they go, oh, is your person wearing a hat or whatever? But if you're an adult, you play Guess Who the real way where you say, you know, does your character own a gun? You know, and then you have to kind of guess like, oh, which of these characters would own a gun or whatever. And so what your team does, you get a curler in your mind and then people are allowed to ask abstract questions about that curler. You know, what shape would they be? If they were a genre of music, what genre would they be, etc. So along those lines, we have to describe Tyler Tardy here. So maybe I'll just ask you three abstract questions about Tyler and then you can tell me how he fits into those categories. Is that fair to do? Yeah. Number one, uh, which color is Tyler Tardy? He is yellow. Where's that coming from? What do you think yellow? Well, I see obviously BC is blue and yellow. True. So I like the, but I, I, and I know he's Alberta now, which is also blue, blue and, and yellow. yellow. Yep. Uh, but I think like Tyler has like a lightness to him. He does. He carries a lightness and a nonchalant to him. So I think that's very yellow. I think I would go a little more Kevin Cooley, maybe a little blue. The yellow is very light color. And I, I see that with Tyler. Love it. Okay. What shape is Tyler? I think like a rectangle. I think he's pretty like on the straight and narrow. I think, ooh, I was going to say something <laughs> interesting <laughs> there. <laughs> we're not going to say that. <laughs> yeah, we're not, so we're not sitting in the uh, upstairs of the curling club, seven drinks deep here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, I think, I think the rectangle, I, I think he's, yeah, pretty straightforward kind of guy. Like you get what you get and that like, there's no extra edges to him. I don't think. Um, yeah. Okay, I like it. Last one. Uh, what car is Tyler Tardy? Car. Ooh, what car? Oh, yeah. I'm thinking like a um. Oh, a Subaru. He's a Subaru. Yes, I like that. Like a Forester. Yeah, like reliable. He seems like a reliable kind of guy. Trustworthy. Yeah. Very trustworthy. Trustworthy for sure. And like not flashy. You see it. You respect it. He's not a, like jumping up there like a Lamborghini. He's not like. Look at me over here. I'm thinking, yeah, thanks, Subaru. Uh, so there you go. That's a game you can play with your curling team. Uh, it's yeah. it's a very fun time. I, I had a nice time with you four playing that in uh, in Brantford. I'm glad we could bring it to way inside. Uh, yeah. So Carly, last thing I need from you is a question for my next guest. Yeah. So I thought about this ever since you. Um, <laughs> brought this up I've been stressing hard um okay so my question is you and you being the next guest have been tasked with putting together the next Olympic team of curlers it is a mixed team new sport form four man mixed okay new sports Olympics and unfortunately every curler is booked so you cannot choose a curler and so you've got to pick four go on your mixed team for the Olympics can be anyone in the world just can't be a curler. And so is the person I'm asking, they're sort of like the coach. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the like coach. Putting this together. So they're not playing. They're not, they are not part of the team now, unfortunately. Yeah. So they got to put their, their best group of non-curlers together. Well, Carly, thank you so much for being on the show. This was tremendous. Lovely to have you. Thank Before you. we go, uh, a, a chance to plug your sponsors. Colliers, uh, project leaders. Steph, our vice works for them. Balance Plus, Dynasty, Mississauga Golf and Country Club. Well, thank you, Carly. Normally for the outro of my show, I do a question of the week, but I'm throwing a curveball. Carly, I'm keeping you for the outro. 
earlier this year, I noticed your father's team is for some reason sponsored by UGG, uh, the Australian boot maker. I uh, slash slash slipper maker. I'll say this, by the way, UGG sweatpants. You've never worn anything comfier in your life. I have a pair of them. They're insane. Anyway, I tweeted at you and I was like, what are, what's going on? How do we get your dad in a commercial for UGG? You said you had ideas. You and I are going to make a commercial for UGG starring Team Howard. Surprise. What was your lean when you found out they were sponsored by UGG? We can maybe start there. Well, you know, I would really love to do a commercial. You, have you ever seen the movie The Grinch? Like Jim Carrey? You yes. know how he's like trying on the outfit? He's like, ooh, ah, and he's like feeling himself. I think they got to do something like that in, in their UGGs. Like sweatpants, robes. So your dad is the Grinch, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Scott can be the dog if he wants. So he's evil. <laughs> <laughs> Scott is the dog. Your dad is the evil Grinch. Okay. Yeah, Tim could be like Cindy Lou Who. Yeah, we could. <laughs> we could. So like, we'll we'll bring it out at Christmas time when it's like time to buy Uggs for for the fan for you know everyone. Yeah. Uh, Christmas gifts and yeah, we can make a whole skit. Can I throw something out here? I'm going to say I think Dave is actually Cindy Lou Who and Tim is the mayor of Whoville is kind of how I'm seeing it. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, you like that. Okay. So and and so your dad is the Grinch. And so he's trying on like the sort of Uggs and he's loving it. Yeah, exactly. He's feeling himself in it. Yeah. We got to probably incorporate curling into this somehow, I'm thinking. Like, is, is there maybe some kind of like curling scene in Whoville here? Well, maybe that's where they're going. Like, there's a, there's a tournament, a Monspiel, and they wear the Ugg shoes curling. Yes. Right? They're going down to like City Hall or wherever the square is, and they're, they're trying on their outfits. Every year, the Grinch wins the curling tournament. And people are like, they're, they yeah. don't, they're like, that's why they hate him in this sort of thing. It's not that he steals Christmas. It's like he always wins the bond spiel. <laughs> he always wins. Yeah. There it is. We did it. Look at that. That's a great, I think this is an amazing commercial. 90 seconds long. Ugh, if you're listening to this, let's make it happen. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you, Carly, for this extra little supplementary content. Anytime. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Cullen on Curling. And remember, if you're going to be inside, be way inside. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.